You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Ben Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mission Lab, episode 109. The title is The Greatest Evangelistic Meeting Ever? Question mark. I want to tell you about a recent uh, experience I had. And before I launch into that, I just want to acknowledge that in the past few years, I have sort of had a little bit of a condescending attitude towards the idea of, quote, public evangelism. And for those of you who may not be familiar with that verbiage or that term or that expression, um, it's especially popular within my faith community, my denomination, but even more broadly within evangelicalism to uh, have a lot of public meetings, quote unquote, where we put on a seminar or we put on Um, some evangelistic series, as we call it, and we invite the community to come and to, uh, you know, listen to our, our, our preaching where we talk about the gospel or we talk about, you know, prophecy. And I have to admit, since we have sort of had this missional transition that is focusing more on, um, more on life on life you know, personal discipleship and mission and uh, just kind of doing life with people and living life with them where those types of gospel conversations come up spontaneously and in the moment and are more contextual because really um, public meetings tend to try to be a one-size-fits-all and they appeal to, you know, only those who are explicitly curious about the topic you are presenting, which I find, at least in the past, um, really only appeals to a very, very limited sort of um, segment of society. So I have, I, I have, you know, been sort of antagonistic towards this idea of holding public meetings. But I want to share with you an experience I recently had that has somewhat redeemed in my mind the power of public evangelistic meetings. And I'm wondering, I'm honestly, genuinely wondering if I was the participant in perhaps the most successful evangelistic meeting ever conducted. That's right, my friends. I am being very uh, proud and arrogant in declaring or even hinting at asking the question if I may have just led out in the greatest and most successful evangelistic meeting effort ever. Why do I say that? Let me give you some stats on this. I recently preached in a public forum to approximately 200 people. Um, In fact, There were so many people there that they had to set up more chairs in the auditorium. Um, It was quite remarkable. 
Furthermore, check this out. Of the 200 people that were there, all but four of them, that is my wife and three children, all but four of them were not a part of my faith community. They were not Seventh-day Adventists. And I would say that the vast majority of them were not even Christians. So I was preaching to approximately 196 non-Seventh-day Adventists and I don't know, maybe 150 non-Christians. So, I mean, that turnout, that, 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 you know, that return on, on what I had done was just incredibly remarkable. I, I don't know that I've ever heard of any evangelist who has had those types of numbers, especially, or at least in my part of the world. Um, I, I would bet, and this is, I, I say this without any ounce of sarcasm. I would bet that if I were to hold public meetings year after year, after year, after year, that, uh, typically, um, I would not get that number of people combined in 10 years coming to my meetings. Um, now what is further remarkable is that I did not send out a single brochure or handbill inviting people to this meeting. I, um, I didn't spend a single dollar. A lot of times when you hold meetings, you spend loads and loads of money on advertising, whether it's, we like to call them in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, handbills um, or brochures or flyers. We might advertise on the radio. We might advertise on Facebook these days, on TV. You can spend upwards of ten, ten to $20,000 on, on evangelistic uh, advertising. In my experience, if you, like I've done this in the past where I held some meetings um, in my old church in New Hampshire and we sent out, I don't know, 20,000 uh, maybe brochures, 20 to 30,000 brochures, and we had maybe f- f- a total of 40 people that came who were not from our church. Um, so that's a lot of money. So this meeting I held uh, had approximately 200 people, and I did not spend a single dime on getting those people there. Um, in fact, check this out, and I am kind of hesitant to say this, but I was actually paid to hold these meetings. I actually made money on the meetings. Now, that's not the reason why I did it, but I was actually paid to do it. Furthermore, um, af- furthermore, I, sh- I, I, I preached a complete gospel sermon where I brought it, man. I made the appeals. I talked about Jesus. I invited people to accept Jesus. I did the whole nine yards. And you know what happened as a result afterwards? I had people coming up to me and saying, that was so wonderful. I want to start going to your church. And another one woman said, I want to, um, if I lived here, I'd be going to your church. Now, I'm being a little uh, sarc- a little facetious in what I'm saying. You made me detect that in my, in my uh, kind of explanation of this whole thing. And I do not want to imply that I'm this great preacher or I'm, I figured out the secret formula or that I'm even trying to figure out the secret formula as though, you know, 
you know, listen, I figured it all out. But, um, but, but it was just unbelievable. 200 people, most of whom weren't Christians, people moved, sharing the gospel, didn't send in the scent. And here's the punchline. You've been waiting for it. You have been waiting for it. Did I mention or should I hasten to mention that this public, successful public evangelistic meeting was, drumroll please, my neighbor's funeral. So um, it was it was an amazing experience. Um, it was it was powerful. I I shared with you a few episodes ago that tragically, um, my neighbor Dick uh, passed away. Our neighbor Dick passed away. He was eighty two years old. Wonderful man. Um, kind of people who knew him knew he was a little grumpy, but he loved us, and we did a lot with and for him. I could go through all the stories. I think I've shared some of them in the past. He lived by himself in his big house, although he lived just on the second floor of that house. And we did a lot for him. I could go down the list. Uh, we loved Dick. Dick loved us. Um, one of the things, and Dick seemed to have nine lives, but um, one of the things that when he had been kind of at death's door before is I said, Dick, I'd be honored if you would let me uh, conduct your funeral. And he said, well, how much do you charge? And I said, that's not what this is about. I don't charge anything. I just want to have, I just want to have the privilege to, to sort of memorialize you. And uh, he, he, he agreed to that and he wanted me to, to do it. And so when he passed away, um, one of his sons I worked with, um, you know, asked me to, to honor his father's wishes and, and lead in, in the funeral services. And he said, I do not want to do it. And so I need you to, I need you to do it for me and take charge of everything. And so um, I was a little anxious about it. Uh, we didn't know how many people would be there. Um, in fact, Dick's sister, Sandra, said, well, you know, I know that, you know, this family member is going to be there. This family member is going to be there. Um, but I don't know if there's going to be very many people there. And she apparently miscalculated because it was just overflowing and people just kept coming in and coming in and coming in. And uh, I was a little anxious, admittedly, because I suddenly dawned on me that I was going to be sharing a word from the Lord with all these people that I did not know. And um, many of whom, because Dick was not a religious person per se. In fact, he came to our church one time in the 10 years that we knew him. And uh, he said, I'm just waiting for the building to be struck with lightning. He, you know, kind of joking. Um, so, so I didn't know, you know, most of these people, you know, 95% of them I did not know. And um, I surmised that many of them were not followers of Jesus. And so I'm just suddenly like the gravity of the situation is dawning on me. And uh, I'm just, I'm just asking the spirit to be poured out. And, and amazingly by God's grace, I testified to the power of God's grace. And I, you know, I, I preached a, a full on gospel sermon about, about the grace of God, the mercy of God. And, uh, it was powerful and I'm not one to usually kind of toot my own horn, but, and I say it, I, I mentioned that because it was 100% a God thing. Um, and I had people, like I said, coming up to me afterwards. None of them, you know, I didn't have an altar call. I didn't, you know, pass out a baptismal card. Um, I, I, but I did have people come up to me and say, Hey, we want to, we want to, we want to check out your church. You know, that was so, so powerful what you shared. 
Um, so it was, it was just a beautiful, it was just a beautiful experience, made some great connections. Um, I have people who will be coming and actually presenting at my church in a couple of, of Saturdays. They want to talk about kind of their mission in the world. And, and so I've made some good connections. Um, but you know, as I was reflecting on it later, it suddenly dawned on me this juxtaposition between our traditional sort of public evangelism efforts and and this experience. And uh, I'm not wanting to smugly or self-righteously, you know, pit them against each other. Um, and I, and I'm, I know even though I'm antagonistic towards, um, you know, that sort of traditional public evangelistic approach, I don't want to overstate the, uh, you know, the animosity or the uncomfortableness I might have with it and just unequivocally declare that I believe, you know, by God's grace, there, there is a place for, you know, those more traditional public meetings, but it just, the juxtaposition just kind of floored me. Um, you know, again, I could, I could literally, and this is not a joke. I could put, I could hold public meetings every year for 10 years and I would not get a total, the total number of, of, of non-Christians in that room over the course of 10 years that I got in the room on that single day. And um, again, I, if I did that for 10 years and held meetings for 10 years, I would be spending thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars just to get 200 people, 200 non-Christians in a room over 10 years. And, and, and so like, it was just like the stark contrast that really just impressed me. And the reality is, um, is that those people were, they were primed because death is such a soul searching occasion. They were primed to, to hear the gospel. They, they were reflecting on life and they were reflecting on their own mortality. And I, I acknowledged to them, I said, actually, when I was speaking, I do not want to, you know, take advantage of the moment. And so I'm not going to try to manipulate anybody, but I do just want to make an appeal to embrace the gospel of Jesus. And so, you know, that was, that was uh, a moment where people, uh, I think by God's grace, I approached it very delicately. Um, but I approached it, I think, and again, I'm not usually one to pump my own tires because um, I usually don't think I'm worth having my tires pumped. But I, I, it seems as though God's grace was able to, to help me find the right balance between being, being straight and, 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 and definitely um, direct with people, yet not being predatory or manipulative or coercive. Um, and, and, you know, who knows? Um, you know, maybe uh, 100 people start coming to my church, doubtful, and not the reason I did it either. Um, maybe, you know, all 200 of them are someday experiencing eternity because they heard a gospel sermon at their friend Dick's funeral. Maybe nobody, you know, ever embraces Jesus, and that's okay too. Um, the point is that, you know, 
I was, uh, by God's grace, I was there. And again, it feels like I'm being so self-congratulatory here, and I apologize for that. I feel very uncomfortable with it. Um, but it was just a really, really neat opportunity that God really showed up for. And um, people, by God's grace, encountered the gospel. And uh, I hope that it will pay dividends down the road. But, you know, what it, what it took was... Um, 10 years of investing and, um, I would rather spend 10 years investing in a, in a, in a single person. And I wasn't doing it with this motive of like, okay, maybe someday I'll be able to get Dick do you know, perform Dick's funeral. And then I'll be able to talk to thousands. That's not why we were doing it. Dick was a person worth investing in for his own sake. Um, but that's just you know, again, where I think it's at, um, just slowing down, investing in a few people, being in their life, it doesn't cost much time, effort, money. It doesn't cost much at all. You know, a few extra cookies here, inviting over for supper there, having over for Thanksgiving, driving to, you know, uh, the barbershop, which we did, taking them to dialysis, which we did. Um, it's not rocket science. It's just investing in a person who is worth investing in. And in so doing, again, this is not why we do it primarily, although as I talked about in my last episode of lovemaking, we are wanting to spread the love, right? But in so doing, in investing in one person, it opens up opportunities to have an audience with multitude others. I can guarantee you, um, and, and I hate to speak with such certainty, but I could almost guarantee you that of those 200 people or 196, well, I'll say 195 because Dick's sister, Sandra, had been saying for a while that she wanted to come to my church, but um, I can guarantee you, almost guarantee you beyond a shadow of a doubt, that of those 195 people, um, excluding, of course, as I said, saying there was 200 people, excluding my wife, children, and Sandra, I can almost guarantee you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that none of them, and I mean absolutely none of them, would ever, A, randomly show up to my church to hear me preach, or B, show up to an evangelistic meeting that they received an invitation in the mail via a flyer or a pamphlet. I can almost guarantee it. And so the point is, is that when we slow down and we invest in few people, it will open up opportunities for us to connect with others that we would never ever connect with if we put all of our eggs in the public evangelistic basket. And I want to also share, of course, that that is not necessarily even the goal is to just get them to sit down and listen to us talk. That's not the goal. Ideally, all 200 people I could enter into life with. Of course, that's not going to happen. But even under the, the, the kind of the model which says that it's critically important to just have some people sitting down and listening to us talk at them, even under that model, which I don't think is the, the best model. It's, there's a place for it, but it's not the whole thing, and it's not even the, the, the major thing. But even under that model, there are people 
that we will never, ever, ever, ever reach by sticking to our, 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 our exclusive let's hold public meetings model uh, because they're just not going to show up because they get attracted or they see a advertisement on Facebook or don't get me wrong. There's many who there, I don't know if I'd say many proportionally, but there are some, a handful of people that will. And again, the statistics bear out. You send out 20,000 invitations. You're going to get maybe 20 people co- showing up. Okay. That's a lot of money spent for only 20. Now, again, maybe you won't be able to reach those 20 using other means. So I'm not saying there's not a place for it, but more than likely, if we, if we go all in on the disciple making model of each person investing in just one other person, if we multiplied ourselves in that way, and we've probably done this before, the power of exponential growth, if we multiplied ourselves in that way, just one person investing in another person, and then they in turn do the same thing and we keep investing in one person, it would take us like five to 10 years to reach our whole cities that way. So without a, without a, a penny cent on spent on advertising and holding meetings and renting halls and all of that. So, um, I don't know. Was it the greatest, most successful evangelistic meeting effort ever? Maybe in my conference, I've never heard of a preacher in my conference in the last 20 years that I've been around this conference, um, which is those of you who aren't familiar with my Adventist lingo. That's the territory that our Seventh-day Adventist church oversees, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. Um, I've not heard of that type of return on investment. I mean, it's just unheard of. There was basically no financial investment. Um, there's a lot of time investment, but, um, yeah, like to have that sort of, to yield those sorts of numbers, just unheard of friends. Um, again, I don't want to say this smugly, self-righteously, black and white, um, arrogantly. I just, something to think about. What's the take home for you, dear friend? You're listening. The take home, of course, is be missional, be incarnational, invest in your neighbors, love on your neighbors. That is worth doing in and of itself regardless of any other larger implications, they are children of God who deserve to be loved. Um, that's, that's, that's where it's at. And, and also, if we are truly people who want to make love, who want to spread love, that will be the biggest bang for your missional buck. You're the biggest bang for your evangelistic buck is by going all in on a few people and it will open doors to much larger audiences. And I use the term audiences in air quotes. Um, so just, just focus on the few, focus on the small, slow down, Love on your neighbor. Um, Just do that. And who knows what God will do with that. So, um, yeah, that's all I want to say about that. There's no grand, uh, by the way, the story is still being written. There's not this huge, you know, story of a big baptism of 200 people who heard my my preaching. 
Um, as we talked about before, maybe that's not the whole point of it anyway. And I think it's probably better when the results are modest because it prevents us from getting too excited about ourselves. Um, and maybe only eternity will reveal the degree to which our humble investment has led to just mind-blowing results. So um, you get it. You hear it. Appreciate you listening. And uh, just go out and love on your neighbor. Spread the love. Make love. Make love. Um, and other people will be drawn into the orbit of that love by God's grace. Thank you guys for listening again. Hope you are doing well. And I will be back soon with future episodes by God's grace. And have a great day. And thank you for listening listening to Mission Lab. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ogay. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.